Whoa. Am I back in the Matrix? Oh, no, sorry. It's Sizzletown Unplugged. Pardon me. Um, If you're binge listening to all of Sizzletown, or if um, you've only subscribed in the last couple of years, I should warn you, this is not a proper episode of the show. This is Sizzletown Unplugged. It's just me uh, sitting between a couple of sofa cushions with a doona over my head and no Matt Dower. This is so that he can have a holiday. Uh, No callers or sound effects. Look, I'll explain in a minute. I've just got to get the show started. Um, Need some theme music. Uh, Damien Cowell has given me a glockenspiel. So I'll just get through this and... uh, See you on the other side. Here we go. For those about to glock, we salute you. Okay. Yep. All right. Chord change. Yeah. And this bit. And welcome to the show, Sizzletown Unplugged with myself, Tony Martin. Uh, Happy New Year to everyone. Uh, I assume, to be honest, this was recorded back in mid-December. So if something major has happened, like, I don't know, Peter Dutton has declared war, or they finally uploaded those final 12 episodes of the Daryl Summers show to YouTube, and you're wondering why I'm not talking about that, this is why. Uh, it's just me, like I say. Um, I've got this uh, Beavis and Butthead doll. This is what we did a couple of years ago, in case you weren't around then. Uh, it was just me with, um, with this thing here, providing punctuation. Let's see if it still works. Whoa, check it out. Ah, still going. All right, uh, you'll be hearing a bit of that. What else? I'll be talking about movies. Uh, I'll be reading out an old story. Normal Sizzletown will be back at the start of next month. Now, what I did, and this proved surprisingly popular, is I delved into this diary, which I've been keeping for, well, 41 years now. Every movie I've seen since 1980, and I always list the director and how many stars I gave it at the time should point out. Maybe now I'd have a different opinion, but uh, we were up to uh, 1984. So I've printed it out. (laughs) I have no idea what is on this list. I haven't looked at it and we'll go through it together. What the hell is this crap? Sorry, that is what the show is. That's what it's going to (laughs) be. I'm just going to be going through this list and seeing where it takes me. And maybe you recall what you were doing in 1984 yourself, assuming you were born. So let's get started. Every movie I saw in 1984. Shut up, Bart Knocker. Oh, hey. 1984. I was 19 years old, still working at the uh, ad agency in the, um, well, I'm in the copy department now. I've been promoted following the departure of the late, great Tom Davidson, who was uh, one of the co-creators of the cult Auckland radio comedy show, This Program, or The Sprog, as it was known on Radio Hauraki. 
still a big influence on everything I'm doing. And uh, he's gone across the road to Auckland or New Zealand's first FM radio station, 89FM. Fred Boddicker, who uh, Perth listeners would know, was working there as well. And Tom would uh, get me to pop over and do stupid voices in his radio ads. And that was how I got into radio. Um, That was the day job. And then uh, at night time, I'm still uh, doing amateur theatre, making a fool of myself there. Uh, What was I doing at the odd comedy thing? There was no live comedy in Auckland at this time. So what I would do is uh, I'd get up at the Glue Pot Tavern in Ponsonby and do my John Cooper Clark impression to uh, mystification of all. A friend of mine and myself put on a very amateur production of Peter Cook and Dudley Moore's Not Only But Also, more recently done properly by Sean McAuliffe and Stephen Curry. That was what was going on. But we're not here to hear about that. Let's talk about the movies I was seeing. Here we go. Uh, Seems I saw 81 films in 1984. So strap yourself in. Here we go. First one, The Exorcist, of course. I've given The Exorcist four stars, and I've seen it on a double feature with Caligula, (laughs) directed by Tinto Brass, at one star. For Caligula, I remember this double feature. I saw this at the uh, the cinema in Dominion Road in Mount Eden. Was it the Capitol? Could be wrong. Uh, Dominion Road, of course, you'd know from the Mutton Bird song. Uh, and this was the censored version of Caligula, not the um, added porn inserts version. And it was very strange to see that after everyone had been terrified by The Exorcist. Uh, Yes, Caligula. What was the joke on Not the Nine O'Clock News? So John Gielgud had no idea there would be all that pornography after he read the original paycheck, I think. But uh, anyway, after that, I've seen, oh my God, another double feature of The Pink Panther Strikes Again and Return of The Pink Panther in reverse order, seeing them for the fifth and sixth times, according to this. Wow. See, this is what you would do before there was YouTube. You couldn't just watch a funny clip over and over. You'd have to go and see a funny film multiple times. Then I've seen The Big Chill, which I've given four stars. The Big Chill, very unfashionable for many years, sort of come back into style, weirdly, in recent years. Uh, then I've seen something called Savage Islands, directed by Ferdinand Fairfax. Two stars. Okay, a.k.a. Nathan Hayes. Right, now this was a sort of rip-off of Indiana Jones, starring Tommy Lee Jones, if I remember, and it was shot somewhere in the South Pacific, nearby to New Zealand. So that's right, there were a lot of... New Zealand comedy types in supporting roles. Grant Tilley, Peter Rowley, these names will be mystifying to a lot of people. Prince Tui Taka was in it. That's why we went, but clearly I was unimpressed. Then I've seen The Chosen. Oh, wow. The Chosen, which was um, with Robbie Benson, who all the girls are in love with uh, around my neck of the woods. Uh, Also, is that set in the world of... 
Hasidic Jews, possibly. I think Rod Steiger was in it, presumably giving a very large performance. Uh, is it based on the book by, I don't even know how you say his name, Kaim Patok? Sounds like I'm playing squash. Patok. Uh, directed by Jeremy Paul Kagan, who directed The Big Fix, possibly, with uh, Richard Dreyfus. We're never going to get through this list uh, unless I speed up. I've then seen Possession. Oh, I can't even say the director's name. Andrzej Zulowski. That's probably wrong. Two stars. I remember this. It starred Sam Neill. In fact, I think I might have been pestering him on Twitter about this because it's recently been rediscovered and polished up on Blu-ray. And uh, the scene I remember is there's a bit where Sam Neill goes his own forearm with an electric knife. And I remember uh, screams just filling the Academy Cinema under the Auckland Public Library. Montenegro was my ninth film for the year. Directed by Dushan Makayev. I probably got that wrong. Vayev. Came out here and made the Coca-Cola Kid. Now, this is clearly art house Swedish gear. I've possibly been to see this uh, in order to impress a girl. I don't remember anything about it except uh, a motorised dildo. <laughs> I think. I hope that's correct. It'd be strange if it's not. Uh, the Twilight Zone movie. Okay, let's break it down. I've given the John Landers helicopter accident bit one star. The Spielberg one, two stars. The Joe Dante one, three stars. And the George Miller bit, the only good bit if I remember, five stars. No score for the um, prologue with Dan Aykroyd and Albert Brooks. Then I've seen Gorky Park. Three stars, Michael Apted. Can't remember much about that. I think Alexi Sale might be in that. Trading Places. John Landis has obviously bounced back from his helicopter accident with four stars. Trading Places. Had a look at that recently. Still pretty good. But that last bit on the train, that's, uh, you can't show that to any young people. Um, what have we got next? Monty Python, Live at the Hollywood Bowl. Directed by Terry Hughes. Don't know who that is. Three stars. Not much to say about that. Brainstorm. Oh, dear. One star for Douglas Trumbull. Yes, this was... Uh, I think they had to complete it after the death of Natalie Wood. It was screened in some kind of process that was meant to be impressive. I can't remember what it was, but it just made everything look bendy, if I recall. The Hunger... Tony Scott's The Hunger, one star from me. I think very good old age makeup for David Bowie. Oh, then I've seen Mean Streets for the first time. Five stars, of course. Fantastic. Uh, star 80. Oh, I saw a preview of that because, uh, yes, I had a um, part-time job at a film distribution company at nighttime, which was basically so that I could get access to free film posters. And I've been to see Star 80, Bob Fosse's uh, last film. I've given it three stars, but it is not a film that you need to see. It's extremely violent and disturbing. Uh, Eric Roberts, obviously the best thing he ever did, but um, not a film uh, people enjoy returning to. Um, Trespassers, Peter Sharp, 
One star. Trespasses. What was... Oh, this... Hang on. This is with um, uh, Terence Cooper. Ter- okay, okay. This is the movie... I think I might have this wrong. This is the movie spin-off of the TV show Mortimer's Patch, which was referred to in the last episode of Sizzletown. Um, Terence Cooper, you would know from the uh, version of Casino Royale, the terrible comedy one from the 60s. He's one of the James Bonds, and he then moved to New Zealand and became a big star of TV shows. And that's right, they brought out someone, let's see, We'd had Leif Garrett come out for Shaker Run. I think, um, oh, who was in this? Like some huge name actor from England came out. Was it Sir Ian McKellen or, um, oh, oh uh, from The Prisoner, Patrick McGowan. That's probably why I went to it, because uh, I was a big fan of The Prisoner. All right, moving on. Fitzcarraldo, five stars. Now, this is interesting because I've already seen the making of Fitzcarraldo the previous year, Burden of Dreams. Great stuff if you can get hold of that. Then I've uh, been to the actual film itself. A bloke attempts to drag a boat over a mountain. That's the plot. Five stars from me. Uh, Scarface. Also saw that at the film distribution company long before it came out. I've only given it three stars. That's interesting because I love Scarface. <laughs> I watch Scarface all the time. Uh, maybe I was, you know, frightened of the chainsaw scene or something. I've then seen Rare Window by De Palma's Hero uh, and I've given it four stars. That was when they re-released um, Rear Window. It had been unavailable for quite some time. Next, uh, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid. Carl Reiner, Steve Martin film using old clips from films noir. Only given that three stars. I think I was um, shockingly unimpressed. I, I remember thinking, <laughs> this is so nerdish. I remember thinking they haven't matched the quality of the film stock very well. <laughs> um, what an obnoxious opinion. Anyway, moving on. Okay, I've seen, oh yes, double feature, Robot Monster, Plan 9 from Outer Space. I actually talk about this in my uh, Nest of Occasionals book. I was on a date and uh, I don't think we'd ever seen bad movies before. This was the era of uh, the Medved books, the Golden Turkey Awards, etc. And the concept of going to see something because it was bad was a new one. Uh, so I saw that in Mission Bay. Then I've seen Breaker Morant, which I've given... Oh, sorry, I should say... Uh, two stars for Robot Monster. That's interesting. And two stars for Plan 9, presumably because of uh, their entertainment value. And I will go on record as saying Plan 9 from Outer Space is an underrated film. But we don't have time for that. I've seen Breaker Morant. I've given that four stars. And then I've been back to Robot Monster and Plan 9 from Outer Space a second time. Uh, Then I've seen Terms of Endearment, the Best Picture winner. I've given that three stars. I seem to remember John Lithgow was really good. And then uh, it gets very sort of someone dying, love story style towards the end. I wouldn't have been into that. Um, Oh, The Big Chill. I've been to The Big Chill again, apparently. Then I've seen Police Academy... 
and you're going to be horrified by this. I've given the Steve Gutenberg classic one star. Wow, not impressed by Police Academy. That's controversial. I've seen Never Cry Wolf, Carol Ballard. I've given that four stars. Nobody remembers Never Cry Wolf. I think that was, um, that's the bloke who did The Black Stallion. And this was a sort of man versus nature film with the uh, the bloke from The Untouchables, the nerd from The Untouchables, Charles Martin Smith, maybe? Is he an American graffiti? Is anyone still listening to this? Not sure, but uh, yeah. I, I can't believe I gave Police Academy one star. What would I have given the sequel? Uh, the Right Stuff got four stars. Very long, if I recall. Comedy Relief from Jeff Goldblum and Harry Shearer. Uh, what is going on? I've then seen The Big Chill <laughs> for the third time. Then I've seen Tender Mercies, Bruce Beresford's film Tender Mercies, uh, Oscar winner for uh, Robert Duvall, only given that two stars. Would have been too young to appreciate Tender Mercies at the time. And then... Okay, so <laughs> this is why I should look at these lists before I read them out. This is insanity. I've been to see The Big Chill a fourth time, and then I've seen it a fifth time. What the fuck is going on? Why would I have seen The Big Chill so many times? I know I was a big Jeff Goldblum fan. Just mentioned him. He was uh, the star of... I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, 10 Speed and Brown Shoe, one of the first shows where a nerd was the hero. Man, nobody needs to see the big chill, or the big chill, as I would have called it, five times. I've then seen Greystoke, the legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes, Hugh Hudson, three stars. All I remember about that is Sir Ralph Richardson sliding down a, a staircase on a breakfast tray. Risky Business didn't impress me. Two stars. The Idol Maker, four stars. Oh, The Idol Maker. That starred Ray Sharkey, who is a very underrated actor. Great performance in that film. I think he, oh, I don't want to say, okay, if, if he didn't die of AIDS, Matt, you're going to need to cut this bit out. But I think he may have. But yeah, a great performance in that film, Taylor Hackford. Who else was in that? Joey Pants, I think, might have popped up in that. Uh, then I've seen Footloose, and I've only given that two stars. Okay. Oh, fuck off. I've seen The Big Chill a sixth time. What was going on? I have no explanation for that. Lacajo Fall, one star. Oh, dear. That's going to offend a lot of people. I did like The Birdcage, the remake. Then I've seen Martin, George A. Romero's Martin, one of his non-zombie films. I've given that three stars. I can't remember anything about Martin. Oh, no. Oh, no, I've seen The Big Chill a seventh time. What is going on? Why would I have done that? I think I'm back in Hamilton by this time. In the middle of that year, I returned to Hamilton, which was considered insanity by all my friends in Auckland. But uh, I had a job at a uh, at a, another FM radio station writing 
multiple commercials at one time and, of course, um, got my first ever radio show with uh, another man who's no longer with us, the great Peter Gosney. We used to do the Inflatable Countdown on Tuesday nights and uh, also in a touring sketch comedy group around this time. Wasn't many of those in New Zealand in the early 80s and not many laughs to be had, if I recall. Okay, I've seen... Okay, I'm back in Hamilton. I've been to see a Monty Python double feature uh, and now for something completely different, the Monty Python and the Holy Grail, both five stars, of course, for me. Then something called Conduct Unbecoming, two stars. Director Michael Anderson. Can't tell you anything about that. Mad Max 2, five stars, of course. Probably my favourite Australian film, even to this day. Then I've seen The Beastmaster, uh, one star, director Don Coscarelli, who uh, directed The Never Dead or Phantasm, uh, famous for its flying silver sphere with knives coming out of it. Uh, none of that in The Beastmaster. I think it did have Tanya Roberts, who was my favourite Charlie's Angel at the time. Not a popular view, but uh, there it is. I've seen The Dresser. I've given that four stars. Stop that train! Being the catchphrase. One from the heart, Francis Ford Coppola's uh, famous debacle. I've given it three stars. Still pop the soundtrack album on occasionally. Now, this is interesting. Unfaithfully Yours. Now, Unfaithfully Yours is probably considered the last great um, Preston Sturges film, but it's slightly unpleasant. The murder plot in it didn't go down well at the time, and uh, Rex Harrison was the star in the late 40s. This is the remake with Dudley Moore and Albert Brooks, if I recall, with a beard. I've given it four stars. That's interesting. There's a film nobody remembers or talks about. Natasha Kinski was in it. I'm going to go on record as saying I think it might be better than the Preston Sturges version. That's outrageous, isn't it? We might have to cut that out. <laughs> no, we're not rewriting history. I've then been to see uh, Tron for the third time and, and somehow still given it four stars. Okay, enough. We've said enough about Tron in previous episodes. Unfaithfully yours, I've been back to see it again. Then I've seen Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which I've given five stars. And I know people don't like Kate Capshaw's screeching performance, but I just loved everything about uh, the Temple of Doom. It's presumably been long cancelled due to various uh, elements. I've then seen it a second time, and I've seen it a third time. Then I've seen the Hotel New Hampshire, Tony Richardson, that was one of those, um, who's the bloke who wrote Garp? John Irving, one of his, uh, was very fashionable author at the time. Who was in that? I think Natasha Kinski again, Rob Lowe, maybe Jodie Foster, someone in a bear costume. Can't remember anything about it. The Blues Brothers, I've seen for the second time. Then Under Fire, that's with, uh, is that with uh, Nick Nolte? Joanna Cassidy, maybe, directed by Roger Spotterswood. I've given it three stars. Then I've seen... Okay, now here's a run of films I saw at the 
Hamilton Film Festival in 1984. So I've seen A Star is Born, the uh, George Cukor, Judy Carlin version. That was that strange restored version, which you can still get where some of the sequences are only represented by stills. I think that's correct. Uh, then, okay, I've seen Le Beau Marriage, an Eric Romare film. Much too young to appreciate Romare, one star. Demons in the Garden, don't know what that is. Manuel Guterres Aragon, he's only got one star. <laughs> this is me going to see uh, art house films again. Well, it's not the Blues Brothers. I've then seen The Draftsman's Contract, Peter Greenaway. That would have been the first Peter Greenaway released in New Zealand. I've given that four stars. The Plowman's Lunch, Richard, is it pronounced Irie? That's with um, bloke from Brazil, um, Jonathan Price. Three stars. Firestarter. Okay, I think we're out of the film festival now. Firestarter with Drew Barrymore, one star. Slayground, one star, director Terry Bedford. That was a sort of British crime thriller, which I think I only went to because Mel Smith was in it. Then I've seen Halloween for the first time, four stars. Um, the original Halloween. Then I've seen Animal House for the second time, four stars. Another film you can't show young people. Um, I'm sounding very 3AW. Yes, what's wrong with it? Why can't you show a bit of sexual harassment to the young folk? Uh, then Catch-22, the movie, and of course I'm from the generation who was made to read that book at school, not been impressed by the film, two stars. Romancing the Stone, two stars. Zelig, Woody Allen Zelig, five stars from me. Watched it again recently. Still brilliant, I think. Again, not something to say in public. Uh, up the Creek. What is Up the Creek? I'm assuming it's not the Peter Sellers Up the Creek. Robert Butler, one star. Oh, okay, Up the Creek is, uh, well, it's uh, an attempt to do Animal House, but on a raft, a whitewater rafting comedy. Quite a lot of those in, uh, in the early 80s. I think they had, who did they have from Animal House? They had... Um, uh, they had Flounder and they had uh, one of the leads, either Peter Regat or, or Tim Matheson. They had, um, who was the dean, the evil dean? It wasn't Dean Wormer from Animal House. I think it might have been the bloke who was Higgins on Magnum P.I. Um, oh, and that's right, I remember this. It was, this is a level of humour in Up the Creek. It was all set at Le Petamain University. Well, no, it wasn't. It was mostly set on a river. But anyway, that was the university. Okay, I'm going to get cancelled yet again for about the eighth time in this podcast because I have given Trial Run, a New Zealand feminist thriller directed by Melanie Reed, one star. Wow. I shouldn't be admitting that. I think it was because it starred Annie Whittle. And everyone who loved comedy in New Zealand was in love with Annie Whittle, who was uh, the female lead on the sketch show A Week of It. And obviously I've gone along expecting comedy and I've got a feminist revisionist thriller. And I've got one star. Get me back to Up the Creek. Uh, Tightrope, Richard Tuggle, 
three stars. That's a Clint Eastwood film. It was one of those ones that came out that went, oh, Clint Eastwood's gone in a new direction. And you go, no, he's still a vengeful cop. Splash. I've seen Splash three stars. Now, obviously, this is uh, Tom Hanks. I remember a friend of mine uh, just constantly quoting one of Tom Hanks's lines from that film where he says, uh, someone got hit in the head by some lightning. And my friend would just use that whenever someone said something fucked. He'd go, yeah, don't worry about him. He got hit in the head by some lightning. Splash, obviously, Daryl Hannah is a mermaid. Tom Hanks, first big lead role. Who impressed me was John Candy. I thought he was fantastic in that film. And I remember the the main reason people went to it is because the trailer had this amazing shot where John Candy's playing squash, I'm assuming. Is that the game? Squash. And he's hit a ball and it's bounced off the wall, come back, hit him in the head, knocked him over. And this is pre-CGI, so it's really happened. And that, more than anything, got people into the cinemas to see Splash. I've then seen Gremlins, given that four stars. Tootsie, for the second time, still giving that five stars. Oh, cancelled again. Conan the Destroyer, directed by Richard Fleischer, only two stars. That was Conan, a more sort of PG Conan with Grace Jones, if I recall. Then I've seen National Lampoon's Vacation, Harold Ramis, uh, for the first time, only given that three stars. Would I give that more now or less? Haven't seen it for a while. And then, number 81, yes, we're almost at the end. We are at the end. Gremlins for the second time, four stars. Whew, there it is. I hope people are still listening. That was every film I saw in 1984. Perhaps you saw some of them yourselves, and no doubt people have quite differing opinions to me. But um, let's have a break now uh, so I can find an old story to read out. And as we do, here's a selection of bits from the show I've now been appearing on for six years, every Tuesday morning, Chrissy Salmon Brownie on Nova 100. I have to say, uh, I did go and have the test. We all got tested. And interesting, nobody, despite being confined in a sealed glass room with Jonathan Mm -hmm. Brown, everyone negative. Vaccines work. That must be the case. But uh, we did have to queue up and get the test outside the Pran Town Hall Mm -hmm. for an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. During that time, three separate people with crazy beards came and heckled us for being sheeple. Oh, really? Clearly being queued up to be injected with nanobots. Yeah. Not a Kiwi, Tone. That's very true. An untested drug. And I'm thinking, I think you've possibly got a lot of untested drugs in your system already, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Is that voice there? There it is. What are you doing? And government are going to be tracking you. Why would you put drugs in yourself? Where's me going? Here's the thing. You know when someone goes to where the leaning tower of Pisa is? Yes. Got to stand in the foreground with mm-hmm. your hand up yeah. and be photographed so it looks like you're holding the uh, edifice yes. from falling. The Melbourne one of that, and I didn't realise I was doing it, we made a pilgrimage to uh, Power Street in Hawthorne, the scene of Tim Smith's car accident. Was it in Power Street? Yeah, and yeah. we just went, okay, let's do it. Let's just get the car up on the footpath. <laughs> let's just wedge the front corner in the hole. 
and just get a quick photo. I'll just be staggering around like an idiot. And just with a suit on with a loose tie, you know. <laughs> exactly. And we got just up towards the nature strip and someone came out and was like, no, you don't. And you're going, oh, no, it's become the leading tower of Pisa for Melbourne. Yeah. What were you talking about recently? Clint Eastwood has uh, won a settlement for... Six million dollars. A weed company used his image. All oh, right, mm. yes. Yeah, so I've got to get onto the computers for dummies people about their logo. There's <laughs> <laughs> a big payout coming my way. <laughs> but uh, Clint Eastwood, I recently saw. There's a film of his from a couple of years ago called The Mule. Have you seen that? Yeah, yeah. great film. He's, I loved it. He has not one, but two threesomes. With women in their 20s. Yes, and weirdly, he was behind all that. He was the director of the yeah. film. Yeah. And he was, like, and he was think, 88. What do you think about the character as a threesome with these two cuties? I think, yeah, we need another threesome in this sequence. <laughs> yeah, it's so obvious what's going <laughs> on. Anyone in the background is working quality control on that set? Just saying, oh, go on, Clint, I'm not sure that works. I think there'd be a lot yeah. of eye rolling, like, oh, this, God, Mr Eastwood. Someone's going, OK, I, I think we can get away with a 70-year <laughs> age difference <laughs> I love the film Heat, and I'm fascinated with Al Pacino's rather odd performance in that film. There's crazy gear changes. I yeah. agree, and I remember seeing it for the first time and thinking there's something odd about this. And what I discovered watching a documentary about it is when they shot the film, mm. Al Pacino's character was a massive coke fiend. Ah. So there were all these scenes of him snorting cocaine, mm. right. and all of those were cut out of the film. Oh. So you're just left with moments where he's quite calm and then ah. suddenly he's not. Just play that scene there. Listen, like, man, let's fall in love. Come on. Did you fall in love last night? And you went off somewhere? This. Just tell me that. I'll, I'll settle for it. You know what I mean? I'll buy that. This. Give me all you got! This and Give me all you got! <laughs> It's yeah, it's, so that actually explains a lot. It yes, does. it does. He's a performance of a detective who's on coke. That's yeah. right. But then they've taken away that backstory, so now you're just watching, <laughs> you're watching him. There's one bit, I can't remember the quote exactly, where he's just saying, Get up in the ass! Yeah. Was it because it was, Tone, was it because it was too long anyway? Or it was a long movie? It, it is a long film. Uh, you know, there's a podcast called One Heat Minute where they go oh, through. Yes. Each episode is analysing one minute. Of Heat, the yeah, movie, yeah. and there's like, you know, 200 mm. episodes because there's about 200 minutes. I wonder yeah. how they explained his erratic behaviour. Didn't get up to that bit. Yeah, you'll notice Sam Pang staying very quiet during this because he sadly has been trying to get up one minute of Cannonball Run <laughs> as a podcast for some time. Cannonball Run is one of the greats, by the way. I agree. Mm. Everyone's seen Cannonball Run, haven't they? Cannonball! Cannonball! Not what you do, it's how you do it. Yes. I'm hoping that listeners have seen it, or if you're a bit younger, watch it. It's just fun. Maybe they need to, just like Heat, uh, we're a bit confused by the doctors, the betrayal of the doctor in the back of the ambulance. Maybe they cut out some scenes of the doctor (laughs) loading up at the bar previously. What about this for a cast? Burt Reynolds, Dom DeLuise. Two of the greats. Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr. Another yeah. two of the Who greats. Who else have we got there? Uh, oh, is Jackie Chan. Jackie is Chan's there, in I think it. in his first Young, American film. Mate, it's unbelievable. And Who's the, the lady? Is it Farrah Fawcett? Farrah Fawcett. Sorry, Farrah Fawcett's in it. Yeah. Mate. 
And he's an all-star cast. And the great thing about that is Sammy Davis and Dean Martin were in it. And when Frank Sinatra saw the film, he was like furious. Why wasn't I asked to be in the film? So he insisted on being in Cannonball Run 2. That's a good tidbit. And Cannonball Run 2 was Frank Sinatra's last ever film appearance. I think he appeared once more in maybe an episode of Magnum B.I. And it was a stink. But then having demanded to be in the film, he's then said, uh, well, I'm not going to come out to the set. You've got to film all the scenes at my office. <laughs> so <laughs> if you if you have a look at Cannibal Run 2, the scenes with Frank Sinatra are hilarious because everyone comes into his office and it's clearly just his shot from the front has been yeah. done at his office and then when you cut to the reverse, it's a completely different person from behind, he's possibly ne- even different hair colour. He's never in a scene with anyone else. I love it. Just single it. shots the whole time. I can't time. wait to see And it when now. he's in his car in the race, he's clearly just sitting in a stationary car in the car park oh of his office. <laughs> they haven't even put a blue screen with moving road I behind him. It's taken us six years for you to bring that well, info you know across what? our desk. Unlike Tone, I care about our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back on Sizzletown Unplugged. A few moments there from Chrissy Salmon Brownie, returning soon for a big seventh year on Nova 100 in Melbourne. And yeah, what a year it was last year. Chrissy and Brownie both had the COVID. I don't want to suggest that someone else will have it this year. Don't want to see that on a billboard, <laughs> like question mark over the team. Sorry, that's offensive. What if something's happened by the time this goes out? This will be in the Daily Mail. Quickly, change subjects. If only Matt Dow was here to clean up the mess. Hopefully Sam won't hear this. Sam doesn't listen to podcasts, I can tell you now. He just sits at home with a glass of red in one hand and a TV remote in the other watching, as you could tell from that clip, Cannonball Run over and over. Dressed as Dom DeLuise's Captain Chaos. He made the costume himself. Yeah, All right. What else? Um, oh, Matt will be furious if I don't mention the Sizzletown merch store. No. Oh. See, normally there'd be a sound effect of a shop doorbell there. Um, what have I got in here? Um, what about this? <laughs> That'll have to do. Uh, bigcartel.com forward slash Sizzletown podcast is the place to go. I wish I could tell you what the current offerings are, but Matt isn't here to spoon feed me the information. <laughs> Thank you, Beavis or Butthead, whoever it was. I can't remember who was the one that went, oh, that's <laughs> been so long. What are we talking about here? It's early January, so that means, oh, that means our first exclusive Bandcamp release for the year is available. Pop down to Bandcamp, type in Mr. Tony Martin, and check out the new album. It's a compilation of movie-related interviews from the first four years of Sizzletown. Sizzletown goes to Hollywood. It's got all your favourites, William Friedkin, David Lynch, Willem Dafoe, uh, Jason Statham, Jack Nicholson, Jeff Goldblum, the HAL 9000 computer. They're all on there. If you've uh, been listening to Sizzletown from the start, it won't be anything you haven't heard, but if you're new to the show and don't fancy uh, wading back through all the conspiracy theories and dolphin heists to get to the A-list interviews, 
Sizzletown Goes to Hollywood is the answer. Available now at Bandcamp. Whoa, that's pretty cool. Thank you. Now, story. We like to uh, dip into my files here at Unplugged. Have me read something out. I've been right back to the year 2010 to talk about bad language because that's obviously a, a big focus on this show. A lot of people aren't happy with the blue talk on this show, but there's nothing we can do when you're doing a live-to-air podcast. We tried instituting a seven-second delay on the show last year. That didn't work. So I thought I'd um, read this piece out. This sort of examines my relationship with bad language over the years, and I haven't updated it. So it's kind of interesting to see how things have changed since January 2010. Uh, So here we go. It's called Language Most Foul. I am Cornolio. Last week, I was involved in the taping of a television program where, for reasons no one could later explain, the talk soon turned to cock rings. While the resultant humour was perhaps not the finest recorded on the subject, it's hard to top Mr Show's commercial for the cock ring warehouse, several big laughs were generated during an ensuing discussion about whether the phrase cock ring could even be used in a family time slot. I understand the subject is rarely broached during Pack to the Rafters. These days, it's hard to know exactly where the line is to be drawn. Back when I was in short pants, Graham Kennedy scandalised a nation with his infamous crow call and was banned from live TV. Thirty years later, a massively successful children's movie featured the constant repetition of the name Farquad and no one batted an eyelid. When I started doing radio in New Zealand in 1984, even the word bloody was considered a hot potato, resulting in mystifying references to the band My Blimmin' Valentine and the movie Sunday Flipping Sunday. The fact that you too were belting it out literally dozens of times every shift was awkwardly ignored. In 1987, when the D-Generation took over breakfast on Eon FM, I recall a heated discussion with a producer who insisted we not use the word bugger on air. Me, but it's a commonly heard exclamation. Producer, yes, but don't you know what it means? On television, a sketch we shot depicting a fake prank show called Bugger That for a Joke never made it to air, although that may have had more to do with the quality of the script. But once then-Prime Minister Bob Hawke had barked out the word bullshit in response to a question on a current affair, the floodgates opened and a new era of swearing on the telly began. Precisely when the F-word became acceptable is harder to pinpoint. It certainly wasn't allowed when we started doing The Late Show in 1992, A sketch of mine depicting an uncharacteristically foul-mouthed Penelope Keith in a Scorsese-directed episode of To the Manor Born was deemed unfilmable. Our show was broadcast at 10pm Saturdays, but when we pointed out that a recent episode of Sean's show had featured the star, Irish comedian Sean Hughes, peeling off several unbeeped fucks at 9.30pm on a Monday... Word came back that overseas swearing was looked upon differently. 
On radio's Martin Malloy in the mid-90s, a somewhat overused running joke involved me not realising that the song had finished and continuing an off-air conversation that was always arrested after the letter U but before the letter C in the offending word. Unfortunately, the manager of a country station running a syndicated version of the show wasn't familiar with this gag and convinced I'd actually dropped the magic, complained not to our office, but to the then radio writer of the Herald Sun. This man, who now produces a show on the very station Martin Malloy went out on, wrote a series of articles alleging that I had sworn on air and that our show was being investigated by the broadcasting authorities. But while it was true that we were being investigated, it had nothing to do with this alleged F-bomb, which, as one listened to the tape confirmed, hadn't happened. The complaint actually concerned our very real use of the word bastard in a pre-recorded sketch. The driver of a Queensland school bus had claimed that the word had leapt from his radio into the unsoiled ears of the two dozen kiddies he was shepherding home one sunny afternoon. But once it had been pointed out that, A, in the same half hour, two election commercials for the Democrats had been broadcast, both containing the phrase, keeping the bastards honest, and B, in Queensland it's illegal to play a radio on a school bus, the charges were quietly dropped. One night in 1998, Rob Sitch dropped an F on Network 10's The Panel and all hell broke loose. Seemingly forgotten during the subsequent talkback fueled outrage was the fact that it was after 11pm when he said it and that two years earlier, Billy Connolly had said it about a hundred times during his World Tour of Australia series, which went out at 8.30pm on Channel 7. For the record, what Rob said was, who the fuck is Donna Gubay? Truer words now than when they were spoken. And as for Connolly's world tour, when Sean McAuliffe did an exact parody of it on Seven's Full Frontal, he was forced to beep all the fucks, despite the fact that the sketch was being broadcast later than the show it was parodying. Another case of overseas swearing, I presume. By 2007, on my most recent commercial radio show, Get This, Comedian and author Bob Franklin was able to deploy the dreaded C-word in reference to certain individuals in the Triple M programming department without attracting even a single complaint. Not even from the individuals concerned, who were, by that time, well used to this sort of thing. Now, I realise that in almost all the examples cited, the offending words were used with comic intent. And this prompts the question... But is swearing actually funny? Or at least it would if my mum were the one doing the asking. In comedy, rarely does a day go by without someone claiming that swearing is lazy and that if you have to use those words, then you aren't a real comedian. My response to this is almost always a predictably blunt obscenity. I can't help it. I find bad language hilarious. This is probably because all my adult life has been spent around people who like to swear and take pride in doing it properly. But I understand that it's not for everyone. I recently spent a couple of weeks working for ABC Radio. Around the office I felt like Tony Montana making a cameo appearance on Antiques Roadshow. As for the earlier mentioned cockring discussion, I have no idea whether it will make it to air. 
I did point out to the show's host that I managed to slip a reference to teabagging into an episode of Thank God You're Here that went out at 7.30pm. Not that there's anything remotely amusing about the arcane practice of lowering your testicles onto someone's forehead, as I discovered this week when I was caught at the lights loudly changing the lyrics to a Rolling Stones song. It's time to me, change has come under my plums. And that is it for Sizzletown Unplugged. Proper Sizzletown will return this time next month with Matt Dower and our full cast of Mag Callers. Until then, you'll find us both on Twitter and Sizzletown is on Facebook, Instagram and, of course, the Sizzletown YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. Cheers. That's right.